far the most excruciating, difficult, stubbornly obnoxious woman I've ever met in my entire life. I fucking love you. Well, I mean, yeah. When he's not being an emotional fucking terrorist. Oh. <laughs> I love the way you see the world, Marie. Hello, welcome to collection three of your favorite podcast. Y'all know what it is. Speak Her Box podcast with your hosts, Nadia Sasso and Sahekshin Patel. From Brooklyn. Hey. <laughs> you know, I'm from the DMV, all three. <laughs> so we're super, super excited to have our next guest. Um, he is a professional, a creative, a fellow PhD doctor as well. So I'm super proud of him. But just before we like, yeah, before we bring him in, we got to just let you know we, the reason why coming out of our soapbox was the Malcolm Marie trailer is because this, our next guest definitely breaks that down. Yes. So whether you like the film Malcolm and Marie or not, I think he really brings up some key themes that we can find in the black community mm -hmm. and in relationships. And I think most communities can relate to, but yeah, I, I think he gonna get us together. Right. Real quick, real and real we, we're gonna wrap up this dating collection with just good gems. Cause a lot yeah. of us out here just dating or coming out of relationships right. or dating ourselves or been married for a while. Oh, yeah. I think he's going to anybody. I mean, everyone, you know, not everyone wants to be in a relationship. I take that But you've been in some type of relationship. So how can you be the best version of yourself in any relationship you find yourself in, whether mm -hmm. short term, long term or whatever the case may be? I think he really is going to, you know, Dive in. Dive in. Yeah. yeah. So he's unboxed. Right, right. <laughs> and as usual, because it's COVID, they're joining us through Zoom. Yes. One day we'll have an in-house guest. Yeah. When all this Rona, Rona, her ghetto ass leaves. And what y'all think about our table? It ain't red, but you know, we do got a table. A marble table. <laughs> marble. <laughs> Thanks to Mama Sassy. <laughs> so let's get into it. Yes. Right, we're gonna go into our Zoom. And we're excited yes. to have you. Hi, Corey. Hey everybody. Thank you for having me. No problem. We're so excited to have you here. Can you really break down to people what it is that I know we did a little introduction of you, but I feel like as a multi hyphenate myself, would you like the opportunity to tell everyone what it is that you do and like where you're coming from and why you're passionate? Sure. So you do. Absolutely. So, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm based in Los Angeles. I've been here about seven years now. I moved here with the goal intention of becoming a television writer producer and so I'm excited that after you know several years of being here planting the seeds um being in school finishing up the PhD that everything is really oh, coming nicely together thank you thank you so yeah so my work really you know is at the intersection of looking at the media um you know racial identity uh, masculinity and mental health. Like usually somewhere in those arenas, you'll find me having important conversations like the one that we're going to have today. Great, great, great. So I, I have so much respect for you as um, someone who also, when did you graduate? Who recently graduated in 2019? I, I finished my, yeah, I finished my PhD last year, like around September was when I actually did my defense and we kind of, you know, closed out a, a five-year-plus chapter of graduate school, so I was I was ready to see the end. <laughs> I already know. I feel you. I'm like, I'm jumping for joy for you right now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So congratulations on that. So what? I know you got Thank so many. Okay, so before you come. came on, we were like having a brief discussion on the film Malcolm and Reed. We, we played a little trailer and everything. And I know you kind of dived in deep into this. So I just want to know, like, how are films like Malcolm and Marie imperative to black, the black love narrative and the culture and the story within our culture? Oh, it's huge. You know, for one, we we haven't always had representation of just real authentic relationships on TV. Right. Um, or in film. And so a lot of times we're getting, uh, you know, the white experience, if you will. Um, and in te television, we we tend to get sort of a watered down um, dialogue. I think we've seen that shift in recent years. I think Insecure is a really great example of seeing like real authentic relationships, not even so much romantic, but also friendships 
unfold right before our eyes. So Malcolm and Marie was another great opportunity uh, to see people of color going through some real things. And now, mind you, you may have been watching Malcolm and Marie and, and did not identify with their experience at all. But what I challenge people to sort of ask themselves is, who do you know that's been through that? Or perhaps was that some of what you saw in your home growing up and how is it now affecting your adult relationships? Mm. I mean, I would say like to me, for me, when I was watching that film um, and I know it came out a while ago, um, they went through many different stages. Well, they took you through many different stages of what their relationship was is. And then I know some people viewed it as toxic, <laughs> um, but it, to me, it was just like we were going on this journey with them and they were it was black, a black story and a black love. And I think black love can be complicated at sometimes because you know he was absolutely. yeah 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 absolutely i mean i, I completely agree and, I, and there were elements of, of toxicity in that relationship i don't think we can sort of pretend um as i've talked with other you know clinical psychologists that have you know watched it and taken a look they're they're like you know i could absolutely see myself diagnosing you know them and and really wanting to peel back the layers of of where some of these behaviors and attitudes originated but um yeah i mean when when we look at malcolm and marie i think the biggest sort of takeaway is like what does contempt look like in a relationship and i talk a little bit about that you know contempt is that feeling that a person is beneath your consideration that they're worthless or deserving of scorn. And so that was a main, that was sort of like the main theme really in that movie was just how does contempt look? How does it make the other person feel? Mm, that's yeah. Yeah. That's something yeah. to really out, to be honest. Yeah. So based on yeah. your studies, like how would you mediate a situation like that? Cause you know, people are, <laughs> Going low, like, and they they went low, low. He went yeah. low, she went lower. He went like, you know I me. Mean? So, how would you, based on your expertise, how would you mediate a situation like a relationship? Because there are people like that in that type of relationship. They're listeners. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> like that. absolutely. And that's that's what I was saying earlier. Like, I think that's why people had the reaction that they did in a lot of ways because they were looking at themselves, you know, and they they may not have gone to the extent that Malcolm and Marie went, went through or to, but in, there's some elements in there that I think resonated with people, even if it was just thoughts, even, you know, using my own self as an example, like, I'm like, even though I may not have said things like that, I've absolutely thought that. And it could have been just, you know, ego, you know, uh, some of my own childhood uh, wounds from seeing my, my parents sort of argue and, and get into it from time to time. I think a lot of that was what was coming up. But to answer your question, what I would say is that I always tell people that I'm not a clinical psychologist, meaning that I would not be someone that would sit down and do sort of couples therapy. But <laughs> as a psychologist, I do have a, a deep understanding of just patterns of behavior and, and knowing how to sort of observe like what could sort of be the culprit or what could be at the root of, of how this is playing out before our eyes. And so Malcolm was particularly intriguing to me. Okay. I'll say it again. Yeah, I was going to ask you, can you break that down for us, please? <laughs> yeah. So, like, for example, like Malcolm was really intriguing to me just as a fellow black man. Right. Wanting to know uh, in the film, they talk about how his parents, I think one was maybe a psychologist um, and then the other one was maybe a professor. And so what I look at as a psychologist is, OK, could this have been a situation where Malcolm perhaps was neglected? you know, a good bit because his parents were chasing the dream, chasing the success. Um, how much attention were they able to give him? And, and, and then how would that lack of attention then show up in how he pursued his own achievements, right? It seems like he was very hyper-focused on being the it producer or writer. Um, and in that, you know, we saw how maybe the relationship suffered. You know, and, and com this whole comparison between him and Marie um, about who was more successful um, and not just in the the 
profession that they were in, but just how they show up and emotionally, there was this sort of constant putting down again, going back to the contempt. So for me, I'm looking to observe what behaviors are showing up. Yes, we're seeing some toxic behaviors play out, we're seeing some really foul language being used here. What could be underneath that? You know, how is that playing out in this relationship? Mm. So you think like, because now we're like a social media era, right? Um, Moving Mm -hmm. from mock memory and the the toxicity. Like, I feel like, do you think social media plays an effect in people's relationships? Mm. And what other people? It does. So one of them, yeah. Absolutely. So we do know research shows us that what social media can do is trigger a certain, uh, you know, comparison between you and other people. So, for example, you might be in a relationship and say your relationship is struggling a little bit. You're then going on to social media and seeing all the couples take their uh, Christmas PJ pictures. And, you know, now you're thinking like, man, like my relationship doesn't look like that. Right. So it can trigger sort of some negative emotions um, where you you feel like maybe your relationship is lacking or, oh, I wish my relationship could be like that. But what we know is that on social media, we are all sort of presenting the best is sort of the highlight reel of our lives. We don't know really what's going on behind closed doors. So it's sort of setting yourself up for a trap um, in that way. And so I tell people, if you are in a situation where maybe your relationship is at odds right now, you might want to do a little social media detox or you might want to mute those those people that you're following that is making you feel some kind of way because you're really going to be setting that relationship up for doom if you are constantly sort of in the state of comparing what people are showing the best of their relationship is to what you might be experiencing at that time, which might not be as positive. It's funny you say that because um, I tell my friends all the time, like, I don't really do the relationship thing on social media. And they're like, why not? And I'm like, because relationships are already hard enough. Mm-hmm. Not to say that the, it's a bad thing, but it's like, I just want to be in the moment and experience it with that person. And I feel like I'll be inviting others. Do you know what I'm saying? But it's a conversation that like, we're still trying to maneuver. Mm-hmm. So right. You know, let's just focus on this and enjoy it. And then, you know, we could do that later. But it's kind of like social media makes it murky. Like you're inviting people into the party. Yeah, but that's so funny that you said that, like inviting people. Because he said like social media, they you would display your best, right? When your yeah. relationship. But when you're talking to your girlfriends and you talk about your relationship, you tell them the worst. That's true. And then you invite them into your relationship. Yeah. And you're giving them the worst about your man. And then the next day you and your man eat dinner and you guys like, so is there, should you not invite people into your relationship because some things might work for you but you might be venting to your friends or venting on social media like so how do you maneuver that because i told denadia about my relationship (laughs) (laughs) right i think i think discernment is a a huge element in that in that you have to know what friends can hold space for you safely um, who is going to give you sound advice, not, not rooted in perhaps their own negative experiences, because just because, you know, Joe did this to you and this is how that panned out. This doesn't necessarily mean that your partner doesn't really want to be with you, but they just, they need to invest in the work to make the relationship work. Not everybody that's signing up for relationships or getting in relationships are truly invested in doing the work to sustain them. So we can't, that, that whole notion of like relationship goals and we're trying to be like this couple is really, it's, it's really dangerous to kind of get wrapped up in that because again, we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. And while one person might not be willing to do the work and then you need to sort of call it quits for that relationship, the other couple is like, actually, I am in this for the long run. I, re- I recognize I've got some childhood wounds. I've got some trauma that I need to overcome, but you're the partner that I want to go on this ride with. Like, I want us to both do the work to make this work. And so it's, it's sort of... You know, you can't, you really can't compare relationships. You can get advice from other people who have been in successful relationships and, you know, they're going to be able to share with you ups and downs, things that they've learned from. But I think, you know, kind of at the end of the day, 
maybe you've got one or two people that you confide in when you're kind of going through rocky spots that can hold space for you. And other than that, really try to keep that relationship tight between you and your partner. See, I knew. See, <laughs> well, off of social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's keeping it tight to me. <laughs> so as we <laughs> as we transition, what are some of the biggest misconceptions of black love, and kind of like how can we change the narrative? Mm, misconceptions around black love. Um, you know, I do think what I've been experiencing as I talk to to other black men and women is that we are of a of a generation where we're just like, you know, I'm I'm not going to go through what my parents went through. You know, what I saw them experience and what I, you know, witnessed, I I'm, I just won't have that in my relationship. And I do think that there is something about like affirming what you will and won't tolerate. So I'm a huge advocate of that. But I also think we have to be careful not to you know, the things that our parents and our grandparents went through, they, they're very universal to stuff that we're going to always be dealing with in relationships. Mm -hmm. So to completely sort of just dismiss their experiences and perhaps not uh, refer back to things that you observe or even have conversations with your parents. Like, you know, I remember when I was such and such age and I saw you and dad going through this, like, do you mind, can we kind of have a conversation about that? Because, you know, things can be misinterpreted. Um, you know, you might want to hear like, mom, what was really going on when dad left for that month, that time or whatever, and, and be able to see again, just juxtaposition that with where you are in your relationship. Be like, oh, wow. Like I did notice that my partner was doing that too. And so I think there's a lot to be learned from our past and our past relationships. And I feel like there's just this sort of notion that there's no value to, you know, perhaps what our parents and our grandparents went through because we're just so perhaps scarred by our perception of what that was at that time. And so that's one of the things I often tell people. And even me and my mom, we go back now, uh, back to, you know, when I was a kid and she and my dad had divorced and she started dating again, there are things that I remember you know, about certain heartbreaks and certain upsets to her dating. And I'm like, oh, that's what you were feeling in that moment. And that's how you were able to process and heal and move past that. Mm -hmm. So I just encourage people like don't completely throw out those relationships that you perhaps observed growing up and, and, and think of them as just completely, you know, utterly negative experiences that you can't learn anything from. Right. But you did mention like talking. I mean, I'm from a Caribbean household. You don't talk to your parents. <laughs> you don't ask them things. And so now right. I, as an adult, I have to unlearn some things because they, sure. like you said, they, you know, it doesn't maybe doesn't fit in your life now. And um, so what if you can't have that conversation? How do you work through that? Right. And that was going to. Yeah, that was going to take me into my next one. So I think the other sort of misconception is that <laughs> particularly if you grew up in a spiritual or religious household that like we can just sort of pray and we just going to believe God to sort of heal this thing and it's going to it's going to fix itself. And you actually may need to go sit down with a counselor, a therapist, whether it be just you by yourself or as a couple. And I don't think we saw or really experienced that as black people growing up a lot, you know, like even to this day, I don't think, I think I'm the only one in my family that's ever gone to a therapist, you know, and I can see the strides that I've been able to make both in romantic and friendships as a result of that. So I think to your question, you may not have family members that can hold space for you in that way and be able to talk to them about what you're experiencing, even though, you know, you have a, a really deep inkling that they went through the same thing. They may not be willing to talk to you about that. And so I think in those instances, you have to be willing and open to going to perhaps a licensed professional therapist to have those conversations. But do you do couple, like couple therapists when you are just dating? Because, you know, when I really think about couple therapy, I always think like when you're married, right? Mm -hmm. Or pre-married. Mm -hmm. But do you suggest like if you're just dating someone and you see, I think, I don't know if that would be like a hard thing to get some person that you're just dating and go to therapy with you, like couples. Therapy. Right. 
So it's, it's twofold. So on one end of it, I am absolutely a huge advocate of that. I honestly think that if more couples did that, that not only one would you be setting yourself up for success if you decide to go down the path of marriage, but you may actually dis- discover sooner rather than later that this isn't a person that you're even aligned with to marry. Mm. You know, I find I mean, that I've had so many <laughs> Yeah. So I, I've had so many friends. I had a lot of friends, you know, same age as me, that they got married right when we were sort of finishing undergrad. Mm-hmm. And I would say, let's say if there were 10 of those couples, there may be four that are still married now. Um, And I think if I could, in my, through the lens of me being a psychologist, go back and give them any advice, it would have been absolutely to sit down and do some pre-marriage counseling that was, you know, outside of the church. Once again, not that it couldn't be coupled with some church uh, counseling, but outside of the church to see, okay, what are some things that perhaps we've suppressed? from our, our growing up, you know, and things that maybe I don't even realize is going to affect the way I show up in this relationship. So there, there's that end of it. But then you, to the second point, you may date someone who isn't willing to do that. And I think that's very telling too, because what is it about your experience that you're so afraid of us sitting down and talking with someone? Like, what are you afraid is going to come up? You know what I'm saying? And like, we have to lean into that discomfort. I think that's the biggest thing about going to therapy is we're not willing to sort of sit with the discomfort of what that might bring up. And again, it may very well lead to, oh, wow, like we're not, we're not aligned. Mm -hmm. We may not actually to build a life together and like bring children into our stuff that we have. You know, so that that's my thing. I'm a huge advocate of it. I wish more couples would do it, but you may you may experience one partner not being willing to do that. And then then I think you have to take a step back and say, okay, what does this mean that they're not willing to do that? And is is this a relationship I'm willing to pursue for someone who's not willing to make that investment? I think because I mean that's a tough one too. Is because do you really say, hey, you're not really making that investment or you're really not ready to face your own demons? Because that's yeah, kind of That's hard. a lot of work. Yeah, like that's a lot of self. Yeah, and I mean, you, you should ask your partner to do the work. I totally agree. You should ask your partner to do the work. But, you know, I don't think some people have the emotional maturity or stability to sometimes unpack some things. Not saying that they're supposed to, they won't work for you, but I just think like right. sometimes like where, what is the gray area, right? How much right. do you right. care about this person? Do, do you stick it out? Do you wait till they get there? Do well, you- I'm going to tell you what you told me. You said, right, if that's something you want to deal with, you got to decide <laughs> if that's what you want to deal with or not. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's why I think it's so important, you know, in the early days of dating and, and you know, quote unquote, talking, getting to know one another to ask really deep you know, critical thinking questions. And what I'm, I, I tell people often, like, if you go on a date with somebody next weekend, um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the game. We're not really strangers. Mm-hmm. I think it was, it, I think it came or originated from red table talk. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's a card game. It's just a card games of, of questions. Even if you don't actually have the physical game, they have a, an Instagram profile. And so on their Insta- Instagram feed, you could see tons of questions that you could ask one another when you're on a date. And mind you, you might not want to, you know, inundate the, the date with like 15 questions, but maybe before the date, you know, you pick maybe three that are, you know, good, but still gentle. Like we're not going to go too deep on this first date, but I think you have the potential in the early stages of dating to lay a foundation for communication, Right. How, how do we dialogue about really important topics? How are you willing to sort of be vulnerable and intimate when it comes to, you know, what really matters in a relationship? So I think if you can start laying the, the, the foundation for that early in the dating phase, you're going to already know whether or not this is somebody who would be willing to, to your point, face their own demons. 
because they're already in this space of talking very openly with you about, you know, I saw my dad do X, you know, it, it is really hard for me to show emotion to a woman, you know, they're going to start to say and tell you those things early on. And then you can decide, is this something that I really want to continue doing, mm. you know, versus getting, you know, further down in the picture. And it's like, Oh, like they, they're not willing to do any work. Mm-hmm. Like I can't get them to have a conversation about anything like on a really deep emotional level. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one of the things that you, if you haven't heard or ever played, you know, we're not really strangers. I, I encourage, you know, people that are starting to date and even friends, you know, to, to start digging into some of those questions that perhaps you haven't thought about before. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That game, they, you might get some, you need to get some affiliated marketing. What do you, go ahead. Oh, oh so I was actually going to ask, because we were just talking about like, what does it take to prepare for this relationship mm-hmm. and to, you know, get the most out of it? What kind of questions, you know, you should be asking or even what kind of games you should be playing. <laughs> but um, what are some things that someone can do to basically work on themselves? What can they do within themselves to prepare themselves for a relationship? Yeah, that's so that's a really great question. So. I I will say first what I do every morning when I start my day is I journal. Um, and a lot of people, if you don't feel like you kind of have that free flow of thoughts to journal, um, there's a lot of gratitude, gratitude journals out there now that will give you prompts for, you know, what to sort of write down in your journal. Like, you know, for example, uh, what are you grateful for today? You know, what are you looking forward to accomplishing or happening today? Um, And I think that's a great way to just sort of spark your thinking. Like I tell people, I use journaling as a way to sort of gauge where am I today? Like realistically, you know, if on a scale of one to 10, I'm feeling like I'm a five, then other than maybe cooking myself some lunch or, you know, maybe going out for a brisk walk, like that's, that's maybe all I can accomplish that day. And I knew that starting my day so that when middle of the day gets there or even the afternoon or evening, I'm like, I, I built my day around where I was just on a mental health level. So I wasn't shooting for the stars thinking I'm going to get all 20 things done today. I knew going in today that I was only going to really be able to accomplish maybe two things. Mm-hmm. So I, I encourage people to journal. Um, and if, if you're like, mm, my morning gets, you know, I got kids, I can't do that. Maybe in the evening that you can just have a moment to just sit with where you are um, on a mental health level each day. I think that's really important. Um, and of course, I'm a huge advocate of affirmations. Um, I'm, I use the Calm app. Um, which has really great prompts and different genres for where you are. If you're dealing with stress, if you're dealing with anxiety, they have lots of different, you know, just uh, meditative, um, affirmative, uh, you know, just stories and things that will just sort of open you up a little bit more. And I think that's that was my point with even we're not really strangers is we don't always when we're going through life and we're dating and we're doing whatever going through a pandemic, for example, like you don't always know what you need right out the gate, but life will be speaking to you in such a way through journaling, through listening to a podcast like this, through reading that you'll be prompted to be like, oh, that's where I am. That's why I'm feeling this way. And that's why I couldn't show up in this friendship or in this relationship the way perhaps I really wanted to. And so I, I, I encourage people to kind of take a holistic approach, I guess, is what I'm ultimately trying to get at. There is no sort of one size fits all. Um, it really does take sort of tapping into multiple modalities. Mm-hmm. Like checking in. You have to yeah. check yourself first before you, you start. It. Yeah. I mean, it's so many because sometimes people use relationships to distract themselves or you know like what do you say like I have some girlfriends like I was always taught to date not to date I mean I was taught like to date one person at a time right and I know and I always say to my mom I wish I was taught to date multiple people to learn my like learn what I like you know but most important I'm realizing now that 
I didn't even, because I didn't, didn't date as much in my twenties that I didn't even know mm. who I was because I was so focused right. on one, you know? So what right. would you say to that kind of aspect of like, should you encourage, are you encouraging people just to date with like openness? And cause it's kind of tricky. It's a pandemic, you know, like it's kind of tricky right now. You know, well, to add on to that question, cause that's a loaded question. When you said that, I resonated it with this so much, but I think it also comes from being like that immigrant sometimes, the first gen experience mm-hmm. and like you having so much pressure for like your career and stuff. Cause I remember being in college and my counterparts who didn't look like me, like they were like, folk dating was a focus of theirs. Whereas we were focused on getting a degree mm-hmm. and like, you know, mm-hmm. what does this career and everything look like? So a part of it too, not to make everything about race and class, mm-hmm. but I think we weren't really privileged in a sense too, you know what I'm saying? And trying to change things for our family to kind of make dating a priority. Yeah. yeah. And I think to both of your points, we weren't really socialized to date ourselves first. Mm-hmm. Right. That That's almost like a foreign concept. Like, what like what do you mean date yourself do everything that you would do in a partnership if, but for yourself mm-hmm. you know like obviously we've been in a pandemic this past year so that's sort of altered what you've been able to do and i think we're going to start to see an up an up swing now with what we are able to do but like take yourself to the movies you know take yourself out to eat even if you go and sit up at the bar so that you don't feel too awkward like you got to be able to sit with solitude and love before you can sit with another person in part- partnership and love um, because you're 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 teaching yourself how to show up what to expect by feeding and pouring into yourself first in that way right if you're constantly sort of looking outwardly for you know affirmations around love and then your partner doesn't show you that you're going to crumble. Like your whole world is going to fall apart. If you've sort of designed your life to only receive love and be affirmed in love coming from other people, because, you know, as we've sort of witnessed with Malcolm and Marie and things that we've shared on this call is that like, we're human. We're not going to always get it right. We're not going to always be at a 10. Some days we're going to be at a one or we're going to be at a 20% versus 100%. So how do I then hold space for myself when my partner just isn't emotionally or mentally able to do that and show up for me in that way? So I, I encourage people where we saw a lot of our parents and grandparents sort of like, get married young and have kids young, you know, to take that time post-college, maybe for the first couple of years. And yet you could be dating someone seriously, but maybe that whole sort of mindset of like, okay, I got the degree. All right. Time to get the husband or wife. Now, like give yourself time to truly date yourself first. And I believe we'll see more successful marriages if we, if we create a culture of having dated yourself first before you jump into a relationship. Mm. Mm. I like that. Yeah. Mm. I mean, cause yeah. right now dating is rough and the market is like, yeah. you know, especially if you're not, is it all markets or is it the LA market? Oh, man. <laughs> the LA market. Cause people come here and we like, most of us are transplants. So we try to, some people try to reinvent themselves or they try to leave their past behind. And, um, like, I don't know, I don't know why dating is so weird here. <laughs> She's basically asking you, you know, if you got any advice on how to make this dating process. Well, you know, bit. one thing, yeah, you know, one thing piggybacking on the question about, you know, what would I encourage people to sort of maybe delve into um, in terms of self-work and particularly like self-worth, I think that people really need to gosh, I almost lost my train of thought there. Um, um, we're talking about advice you would get. I look in the day. Yeah. Like, you know, fabulous terrain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe it'll, it'll come back to me. We, we just, you we'll said you were going to pick it off another question. I think, was it the one of like how to prepare yourself for dating or something? 
Yeah, it was it was around preparing for dating, but it it literally just left me. We we we've been sharing so many gems back and forth that <laughs> it's everything blurring together now. It'll come back. Okay. Well, I guess th- what I want to know is like we've been talking about relationships, right? But mm-hmm. a lot of us are in situationships, <laughs> and mm-hmm. um. And I think that is so complex because you always are taught, especially as a black woman, that if a man wants you, he would tell you wants you and all this stuff like a man will know and blah, blah, blah. And that kind of puts the onus on the woman to figure it out. So what are your views on these situationships? I think that situationships are people get into them for a reason. (laughs) <laughs> and this is this goes back to my point. I knew it was gonna come back to me when we started talking some more. So one of the pieces of advice I was gonna give people, and this connects to what you just asked me. So there is something called the attachment style quiz. I encourage anyone listening to this, just Google attachment styles. So there's four of them. Um, you'll either be dominantly secure, fearful, anxious, or dismissive. Mm. It's one of those four. Again, secure, fearful, anxious, or dismissive. None of those four sound. Say it again. I said none of them sound positive. (laughs) Right. Well, that's the thing. We don't, and I I think this goes back to what we were kind of talking about at the top, was that we don't necessarily, we're not always conscious of how our parents' relationship, and it could have just been a single parent, doesn't necessarily need to be both parents, but we're not always conscious of how they were sort of maneuvering and navigating life, how that affects us now being adults in relationships, trying to coexist with other people. Mm -hmm. And so what the attachment style does is ask you a series of questions to sort of inform why you may be having the experience that you're having in certain relationships. So I'll give you, I'll use myself for example. So my dominant um, sort of attachment style, because you may sort of teeter and and another attachment style may show up, but my dominant is fearful. Mm -hmm. And so the reason I'm more dominant fearful is my parents were married for like the first like eight, nine years of my life and they got divorced during the first, you know, few years, my dad was an alcoholic and a drug addict. Mm -hmm. And so my mom did a lot of compensating for that. Like she was always trying to sort of heal or fix or rescue or show him that like, there's a life outside of your friends and all of these influences. And so what it taught me, and I didn't know it at the time. And that's the thing about it. You don't realize that you're young. You don't, have a full understanding of like your mind and, and, and things of and your behavior. But what it was showing me was that I too would need to compensate often in relationships or normalizing overcompensating in relationships. Um, so it, it will sometimes if somebody who perhaps they come to the relationship really secure, it might make me as fearful attachment style. It might make me, push them away because I might fear this is almost too good to be true. When is, when, when is everything going to fall apart? Or if the person comes to the relationship and maybe they're not giving me the attention that I think I really should, then I might go the opposite end of that and be doing, you know, or compensating too much to try to get them to, to show up in the relationship the way I want them to show up or stick around even. So I think the attachment style is really important just for anyone to kind of know, particularly if you've been experiencing certain patterns, like, man, like every guy I date or every girl I'm with, it's sort of like the same experience. Like, what is that about? I think it would do you good. And then once you, once you understand or you discover what your attachment style is, then you can dig deeper into the weeds of, you know, changing that, changing that narrative for yourself. But it's such a great sort of foundational tool. So I'm glad we came back to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you gave us a lot of stuff to unpack. Yeah. I was just thinking, like, while you were talking, dang, I'm assessing my relationships. <laughs> like, no, did I do the work? You right? like, I need to Google that. Text. I know. I, I was like, know now. What, what's my day style? <laughs> what about it? Like, what's my, ta- yeah, I'm just like, wow. Like, 
Wow. <laughs> yeah, this is a lot. It's a, game. it's a game changer because then you can start to catch yourself because you may be in this sort of, you know, cyclical pattern of always responding, you know, to a guy, um, you know, the same way over and over and over again. And you're like, why do I keep having, whether you express it to him or not in your body, you're, you kind of always have, okay, well, he didn't, you know, he didn't text me this. He didn't text me. Good morning. We'll just use a really basic example. And so him not texting you good morning now has you maybe being super, uh, just distant with him where he, where he, when he does text you maybe a few hours later, you're now guarded. You can't even really engage with him maybe in an intimate way now because you're still thinking about that. You didn't get the good morning text and it could have been really, he was just busy. Like maybe there was an accident on the way to work and, you know, it just threw off the day in such a way. It wasn't anything personal about not thinking of you, but life just happens, right? And so I just use that as just a really basic example of you are now kind of doing the same thing you've done in every relationship where you shut down in communication. Mm -hmm. And this person may be leaps and bounds better in how they communicate with you than the last person you dated, but they're sort of catching the same negative response reaction that you've always given in communication. So I think it's worth the work. Is that also a test to like the ego? Because when you said that, I was just thinking like, sometimes we get in our head sometimes because it's our ego. Like, you know, he, he, who, you start dating a guy and they're very attentive in the beginning. And then right. they may stop or linger, stop texting you as much. And you, you start questioning yourself. Like, he must be dating somebody else. He must be blah, blah, blah. What you know? I wrong? What what yeah. And then you kind of like, not you know, you, yeah, you hold that emotion. But is that ego? Like, is your ego telling you, you know, like you said, it, it could be. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely can be. And a lot of it's just trauma, right? Like we, we experience trauma in different relationships. Perhaps you did date someone that cheated. And so there's a connection now there that, oh, yeah, last time the communication fell off, I you know ultimately discovered that my partner was cheating. But that doesn't necessarily mean that now the next person you're dating, when, you know, they might be going through their own mental health issue. I think that, again, going back to television examples, uh, if you guys remember, I think it was in season four or maybe season three of Insecure when Issa was dating Nathan. Remember, Nathan just disappeared on her. Yeah, he ghosted and her. So when it came, yeah, he ghosted her. And so obviously that was very hurtful. She liked him a lot. But then fast forward she found out that he had really had sort of a, a mental illness breakdown. Right. And so we, we, I, I encourage people to try your best not to sort of put this blanketed. This is how women are. This is how men are because we're all experiencing life in really unique ways. And you kind of have to really truly take every relationship at its sort of core value level and not compare it with all your other previous in the last episode there was a lot of well women are this and men are that and i'm like mm, i don't think it's that mm, black and mm-hmm. white mm-hmm. um so that's a really good point you got to take everything with the grain of salt and assess the situation you, do. And you communicate you have- how do you communicate that like you like you said you brought up the isa episode and i'm just thinking like because i do believe in therapy <laughs> and i have like started doing the uh, work because you triggered something for me when you were like you know you realize you start dating the same type of guy so after i was like yeah. okay, this is my third relationship and i feel like i've been dating the same guy in a sense mm-hmm. i was like let me talk mm-hmm. to um, let me talk to a male therapist. I was looking for a black male therapist. And one of the first things we he talked about is like, well, what happened in your childhood? And I was like, oh, well, you know, I grew up with our dad. My dad passed away when I was very young. So the things that I was looking for in a man was essentially unrealistic because, you know, when someone dies, you kind of put them on a pedestal, right? You, they, they seem like a perfect person. So I was looking for qualities of my father of like, and but he it because he's dead he's perfect in my head like you know and I started have to ask my mom about the relationship she had with my dad and realized that 
losing a dad young, I had abandonment issues unbeknownst to me. Like I view death as abandonment. Mm-hmm. So I dated that way, like in some of the things. And it was just a lot of once he once he was able to hold a mirror up to me, I was able to shift that like you know and was like oh the guys i was interested they were not all <laughs> you yeah. know it's just like whoa took a windshield but how do you uh when you're dating someone how do you say to them like you know because you might have little triggers how do you express like i'm how i might i have i feel like this sometimes you know and it has nothing to do with yeah. you but it's deep rooted in what i ex- had i'm working through through childhood so how do you even ex- like communicate that to in a dating world because you're just dating you don't want to unpack so much stuff so early right well i think what's so what's so beautiful about this conversation is i'm i'm writing my first short film right now and the the short film really centers around this couple they go on their first date right around the time when the pandemic was starting like the onset of it um, and the short film is really just about them having gone on this first date and it's sort of the night post the date where they actually decide like, you know what, if the world's about to shut down, like, let's just make it a night. Like, let's just hang out. Right. And get to know each other better. And so the whole night is just this sort of ping pong back and forth of asking these really intimate, vulnerable questions. You know, to sort of see, is this a relationship? And it, it it was birthed from this notion of like, how dope would it be if you could get like a trailer of what your relationship was, was going to be like before you got into it? And so I say all that to say, I think you have an opportunity in the beginning early on to sort of establish what you need communication wise. And what has worked for me is like I set up this sort of framework, if you will, of like, we're going to have transparent moments, meaning that you can text me at any time and say transparent dot, 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 and give me what you're feeling. And I'm going to hold safe space for you to do that. Same for you. So for example, if you're like, you know what, I'm feeling really vulnerable today. Like I I feel sort of lonely. Like I know you're there, but I just want to let you know, this is where I'm at. And I heard another psychologist say, who's been married for like 20 something years. She was saying that her and her husband have this rule where they say, all right, where are you at today? Like if if they can tell one person's off a little bit, or maybe the other person will just say like, I'm a little off today. They will say, okay, tell me where you're at. And he might say, honestly, I'm at a 20 today. And she said, okay, I'm probably like at a 60, you know, I'm I'm okay. And she said, just by them letting one another know where they are, You've now kind of curbed your expectations for that day. And now it's not like, oh, my God, why are you being such a jerk or why are you being such an asshole? No, like today is just a tough day for me. Like mentally, I'm I'm, deal- I'm grieving with my dad who died 10 years ago because it's his birthday. And it's just a really hard day for me. Mm-hmm. But I think if we can start creating a culture like that, people have a fighting like you have a fighting chance now. Because otherwise, I might be expecting you to be at that 85, 90 that you were work, that you were at yesterday, and you're just simply not there today, you know. So that's, that's my biggest piece of advice when people say, you know, communication-wise, what can we do to sort of improve the way we show up in this relationship? I say, do the transparent exercise. Create a culture where I can tell you, this is what I'm feeling, or this happened May not have been your intention, but this is how I interpret it. Do you mind if we kind of unpack that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Mind you, not everybody's going to be willing to do that work. But like I always say, use that as a telltale sign of like, do I really want to continue investing in, in this? If I can't be completely vulnerable about where I am today and the person be like, you know what? I hear that. And also give them sort of the freedom to be like, babe, I hear you, but like, I'm struggling today too. So like, just be, just know that I hear you, that I care about you and I love you, but I may not necessarily be able to be there and sit beside you today while you're feeling that way. You know what I'm saying? So I think we have to, we have to lay the foundation for that type of communication. Right. Oh my God. So much to unpack. 
Yeah, you gave us some so really good conversation, <laughs> and you left us the biggest thing I've learned. I'm like, okay, I'm like, okay, so I'm talking to my boyfriend about <laughs> A, B, and C. Okay, we're gonna talk this. So where are you at today? Where are you? <laughs> and here, really hear him, and really hear your partner. Yeah, you know, here really like be open and receiving whatever they might say might hurt your feelings. Yeah. You know, yeah. but, like, and even like even with our kids too, I think we. We're, we're not only doing this for ourselves as adults, but like the environment that we bring our children in, like think about if a child could say, you know, mom, I had a really, really hard day at school today. And then you'd be able to say, all right, can you tell, like, talk to me and tell me what was so hard about it. It may have been that you didn't do well on the test, but it could also be like you're feeling some insecurities because another girl was getting attention at at school today in a way that you didn't, you know, so just like creating this, this openness around emotions. I think we have been socialized to sort of operate in emotional avoidance, you know, kind of uh, sort of toxic posi- positivity, if you will, like you got enough, you've got so much to be grateful for. Like there's so many people doing better than you, you, you know, just, you'll be all right. And I, I think we have to sit with and own that. Yeah, I'm grateful for all the things that I have, but I'm also feeling this way right now and have people hold space for us in those feelings. Mm, yeah. Well, I hope people continue to hold space for us <laughs> and this conversation. <laughs> yes. Yes. We really enjoyed having yeah. you. I, I, you don't even understand. Like I'm, yeah. I was actually, when you said, what if we did this with our children? I was like, I think I'm going to talk that in my relationship. I think I'm going to talk to Juju like that from now yeah, on. Yeah, I have a number, you know, a number scale. So, 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 so much. Um, I hope, I can't wait till we release this episode to everyone yeah. and they listen to it. Um, it'll be on speakerboxpodcast.com and all platforms at speakerboxpod. Mm-hmm. And we'll be sure to share it with you. And thank you so, so much yep, for your time. Corey, we're going to um, put your information below where people can find you where they can um, I look forward to your short uh, film. Yes. You know, and if we can support you in any way through yeah. that, whether it's a, a premiere, whether it's, you know, sharing it on our platforms, please keep us posted. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank awesome. you guys so much. So we understand the importance of community and, yeah, and community. our work out there. <laughs> we need a whole production team. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> Absolutely. And I hope we can do this again, again soon. Thank yes. you so much. We really enjoyed you and just, being a black man and just being able to speak to us in the community was just amazing. Yeah. Thank you for your time. 